our kids for Kids Church. Parents, if you have not yet checked your kids in uh, for that, you can see uh, Sandy at the table in the back, and she'll get them checked in for you. And then you can use that sticker to pick them up um, downstairs for kids and then in the nursery, which is up the stairs to my left and to your right. Uh, if you have infants in there. And so make sure that you remember to take them with you when you go. We love to have them for this time, but we do want you to take them uh, back home with you when you go. So um, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12. And I want to talk to you today about holy living. I mean, um, I encourage you to take notes uh, on the things that, not the things that I say necessarily to write down everything I say, but to write down the things that God deposits in your heart. I believe anytime we study the word, God speaks to us through that word and he makes it a reality in our lives. And sometimes just the actual act of writing kind of helps just seal it in our hearts, even if you never go back through and reread those. But a lot of times I like to go back through my notes that I take and reread them and allow the things that maybe God spoke to me that sometimes it's easy to forget. How many of you know it's easy to say, yes, Lord, I'll do that, and then life gets busy? You know the, the story of the, the parable of the sower? The seed was sown, but the cares and anxieties of life kind of choked out the fruitfulness of that word. We just kind of get busy living. And so this is an opportunity to maybe jot those things down. And so I encourage you to do that. But I know that in the scripture, uh, it's repeated that God told us to be holy as I am holy, but that's not the type of holy living we're going to talk about today. We're talking about holy in the sense of complete or total or fully surrendered to God, holy living for him. And I think that as we talk about what this means to live a life fully surrendered to God, I think we're going to maybe find out that that's really kind of what God means when he says, be holy as I am holy. I know that we've made it a list of rules sometimes in the church that we should do or not do, and that's what we call holiness. But I really think just being fully surrendered to God and following what he said in his word and following the voice of the spirit in our hearts, that's what holy living is really all about. And today, I know that there's a variety of people in the room, and I know that at times when we go on mission trips, or we go on retreats, or we go on camps, or we work at a place like Royal Family Kids Camp, or we go through a spiritual emphasis, these are like spiritual high points in our lives. And it seems like the more that we seek God, the more that God speaks to us. And it's true, and I think it's actually a promise of his, in his word, that if you seek him with your whole heart you'll find him. It's interesting that God doesn't just say, if you seek me, you'll find me. But he says, if you seek me with your whole heart, you'll find me. It's almost like he's saying, if you're intentional about seeking me, then you will find me. And it's great when we set aside specific times to go to camps or we set aside specific times to really focus on God. And we have these moments where God just seems so real and tangible and moves in our lives. And then we come back and we have that struggle of taking that experience and plugging it into our real lives. And I believe many of us have bit into the lie that the way that we encounter God in those moments is not feasible in our regular lives. Because, I mean, our schedules are just too busy and too full, and it's just not possible. And while it may not be possible to carve out the exact amount of time at, that we do in those moments, I believe we can be just as intentional in our daily lives to pursue God. And that throughout the day, we can be in communication with him. And I, I don't believe that's just possible. I actually believe that's our calling as believers, 
to learn to be more in tune with God throughout the day. That's in fact why Jesus said it would be better for me to go to heaven and send the Holy Spirit to live in you. Because as long as Jesus was present on earth, you had to be where he was physically in order to be engaged with him. But now every single one of us, every day, every moment of our lives can be fully engaged with God and on mission for him. We, you know, you can help me and just say amen or, you know, because amen just means I agree with what you just said. That was really good. Maybe you didn't agree with me and maybe I uh, didn't say it right, but you can do that throughout and, and I won't be offended by it. It'll be okay. But this principle of really seeking God and going after him, I think intentionally setting our hearts and minds on him throughout the day is what the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12. So in Romans chapter 12, we're going to read just a couple of verses here in a second. But I want to encourage you that if you're going on a trip this week, you're going on a missions trip, you're going on a, a trip to Royal Family Kids Camp, then today as I talk about these things from the Word, I want you to apply them to the week ahead and to the ministry you're about to do. But beyond that, I hope this week is kind of a launching pad for your life where the way you treat people this week or the way you respond to situations this week, that you learn to do that in real life too. You know, the thing I love about Royal Family Kids Camp is the, the, the core values is to treat people royally, make moments matter, and keep moving forward. And I think in our daily lives, we ought to do that. I, I shouldn't just treat people royally this week at camp. I ought to treat people royally every day of my life. I ought to make every moment matter. I think it's in the Bible. Make the most of every opportunity as you live in this world. And so we can launch into a lifetime of, of doing this more and more each day. And I don't know that we'll ever get to the place where we do it perfectly. We just keep pressing into it. Like the apostle Paul says, Paul says in Philippians three, I haven't laid hold of it yet. I just press on to lay hold of it. And so you can do that too, as we go. But for those of you that aren't going on a trip, Okay, the struggle for you is sometimes I'm going to say things like, uh, you know, as we're at camp this week, uh, don't tune me out. Don't just say, well, that's not for me because I'm not going to camp. Ask yourself, how does that apply to me in my daily life this week? And so you need to like maybe take ownership of some things a little bit differently uh, today as we kind of go through this. But let's read it. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore... I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Okay, remember, God's mercy is you didn't get what you deserved. Okay, every one of us in this room deserved to be eternally separated from God and spend eternity in hell. That's what we deserved from him. But you didn't get that. What we got was the offer of new life through the cross, and that's what he spent 11 chapters just processing and talking about. So in view of God's mercy, here's what you should do. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, there's that word, and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I love singing songs and worshiping God in a worship service, but worship is more than that. It's holy giving our lives to God all the time. Do not conform any longer. That means we did for a while. We conformed to the pattern of this world, but not any longer. Now we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so, Father, I just ask that today as we study this passage of Scripture together, Holy Spirit, I need you 
to help me. I need you to, to speak through me today. I need you to help us understand the words that Paul spoke to this audience and how they fit in our lives and how they apply to us. And so, Holy Spirit, do your work in us today as we just study this together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing the Apostle Paul says is that we should give God our whole selves. We should offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, not the Old Testament kind where you kill it, but the Old Testament kind, uh, well, we do kill our old lives and we are resurrected to a new life, but now we're a living sacrifices to God. And for years in evangelical circles, we have been using the phrase and repeating the phrase, invite Jesus into your heart. And while I, I completely understand what we're talking about, and we're trying to put the gospel um, in a way that young children can understand, but I, I, I believe young children can actually understand things a whole lot better than we, we sometimes dumb things down for them, and we don't necessarily need to. We need to just give them the truth, and they you know, come up to it. They have the same Holy Spirit living in them that we do. There's no junior Holy Spirit that they get. But in our, our quest to do that and make it more acceptable, we actually carry this over to adults. And I hear us all the time tell people that, you know, if you just invite Jesus into your heart, and yet biblically, the path of salvation calls for repentance. Did you know that? Repent and believe. That's what it says. And to repent literally means to turn around. It means I was going this way and I turn around and I go the other direction. And it's an exchange. I'm exchanging my old life. I used to conform to the pattern of this world, but I'm exchanging that life for a new life. And it's a great exchange, let me tell you, because the path I was on was a bad path, but the path I'm on now is a path to full life. And that's a great exchange that can take place in our lives. And we've started in our church defining repentance as this. I've lived as the one who judges what is best for me, but now I know I'm completely wrong. From this moment forward, no matter what God says is best, I will believe and embrace it with all my heart, mind, and behavior. That's a great definition for repentance. It was actually in a book by John Bevere that we studied, and that's where we borrowed it from to use in our church. And so I'm not inviting Jesus into my life. I'm surrendering my life to him. And you may say, well, that's just words, but I think our words actually play on our psyche more than we understand. And we start repeating things to the point where we just bring Jesus along everywhere we go instead of saying, Jesus, where do you want me to go? That's a great place to say amen. See, I'll help you and you can, you can do it and then you can do this. And so we've kind of been treating salvation like sitting on the edge of a swimming pool, just dangling our feet in, trying to get our toes a little wet. And salvation's more like a cannonball. That's right. See, so many times people will claim then, well, I tried salvation and it didn't work for me. But what they tried was a just put your toes in the pool kind of life. And salvation only works when you fully surrender your life to God. That's the only way that he comes in and takes over. He doesn't, he doesn't make an exchange of, you just, well, just give me a piece of your heart. No. I mean, I demonstrated my love for you, he says, and I took your place. I took your punishment. Now you need to trust that I'm a good father. You need to trust that I am who I said I am. You need to trust that I have plans for you that are better than your plans. And you may in your human reasoning think your plans are better in the short term, but I promise you that's a path of destruction. And you have to be transformed by making your mind new. 
be transformed by making your mind new. That happens instantly. We become a new person the moment we surrender. We get justified with God. That means it's just as if I'd never sinned. I'm right in relationship with God now, and I am now working out that transformation that's taken place on the inside into my life, meaning how I treat people ought to change, how I talk ought to change, the things I enjoy ought to begin to change. If your life looks the same now as it did three years ago, I wonder if you fully surrendered. Because every day we encounter this book, it ought to change how we think. And sometimes we go to church and we start getting into traditions and things that maybe we were raised in or taught in, and we, we start replacing what God has said with our own traditions and our own mindsets, and they sound really good to us. They sound religious, but they're not really surrendered to God. We're not really laying our lives down. We're just inviting Jesus to come along for the ride, and that doesn't work. It's a dead-end road. Jesus himself said it this way. Where your heart is, excuse me, yeah, where your heart is, no, no, that's not what he said. I got to look because it confuses me, and I'll tell you why. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's what Jesus said. But I often think that's backwards. Where my heart is, that's where I put my treasure, right? I mean, what I love is where I put my treasure, where my heart is. But what Jesus is telling us is it's not about following your heart. So you might have been told that in church, just follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Your heart is deceitful above all else. Follow the word. Follow the spirit. Okay? You don't follow your heart. I choose where to put my treasure based on where I want my heart to go. Does that make sense? Like if, I, if Jesus says, this is where you should put your, your treasure so that your heart goes over there. Because right now my heart is here. My heart, and for all of us it's different. I mean, our hearts are in possessions. I mean, maybe your heart's in your car, your house, your job, your position, your title, your ministry. I mean, it can be spiritual sounding. But Jesus says, I want you to put your, your heart in eternity. I want you to put your heart in things that last. I want you to put your heart in me. So I put my treasure, not just my money, but my time, my energy, my focus in him. And my heart goes that way then. Where I put my treasure, there my heart goes. See, let me tell it to you this way. If I invested money today in the stock market, in a stock that I had before never heard of, someone comes to me and they give me a secret tip and they're like, hey, this is where you put your money, uh, and I invest it. Yesterday, my heart wasn't in that stock, but today it is because I put my treasure there. See, and we're trying to put our treasure, I mean, Jesus, come along, come over here. I want to put my treasure here. Now, put your treasure at the foot of the cross, and that's where your heart will be. Now, I know that this idea of giving our whole selves to God is like this big, massive thing. How do we give our whole selves to God? Wow, that is overwhelming. So I, I, I took it, and I felt like God said, hey, don't, don't tell people to surrender everything. Praise God. We don't have to surrender anything. No, that's not what I mean. We're just going to start with one thing, just one thing. I'm going to challenge all of us this week to surrender our eyes to him. That's all. That's it. All you got to do is give God your eyes. Okay? But I'm going to give you a little secret. Here's a secret stock tip for you. We all love shortcuts as Americans. The way to holy living is actually in your eyes. 
Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is clear, or your eye is healthy, some translations say, or if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And what I think Jesus is talking about is people that say, hey, I want to put my treasure over here, Jesus, come along with me. And we think we have light, and that's actually darkness. That's a deception in the last days that the Scripture talks about. People will, you know, gather around themselves, people that will teach them things that they want to hear, not things that will actually conform their lives to Christ. And that's a danger that we have to work through. But what Jesus is saying is literally the eye is the window to our soul. And if we surrender our eyes to him, then our whole body actually can be filled with light. In Psalms 101, verse 3, David writes this, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Now, some translations translate that word as wicked. And so, in essence, what they think David is saying is, I'm not going to put any wicked things before my eyes. And, you know, that's good. We, we talk about that. Don't, don't involve yourself in things that are wicked. And as good Christian folk in the room, we do that. We, we try not to look at things that are evil, and we try to, you know, to, to just set before our eyes good and pure and holy things. But I actually think that word, as the English Standard translate Version actually translates that, is worthless, not just wicked. Because when it becomes worthless things, then it's more than that. Worthless is anything that's not lasting. And the only thing that's lasting is eternity. And so what David is saying is, God, help me to every day of my life put less and less things in front of my eyes that are worthless. I want to stop pursuing. It doesn't mean we don't get married and have kids and get a job and do a ministry, but it just means that's not my focus. My focus is you. I want you. And if they throw me in prison, I still have you. We as a church have been praying for Andrew Brunson, who spent the last year and a half in a Turkish prison because he was there as a pastor for years preaching the gospel. But here's the thing. His faith is still in God. You can't be, that can't be taken away from you wherever you go. And if he's your pursuit, if he's your aim, if he's where your treasure is, That's where your heart's going to be. So don't put before your eyes things that are worthless. This is something, as I was preparing for this sermon today, I actually prayed and said, Holy Spirit, help me to preach this to me, and you guys just get to sit here. Because this is something he's been telling me. See, he's, he's been telling me, you can't go to a place in me that you've never gone before by doing the same thing you've always done. I mean, if you want to go somewhere else with me, you've got to change and do something more. Stop putting the worthless things in front of your eyes. How many of you know what it's like to binge watch Netflix? You know what that's like? Yeah. Here, wait. I won't look. There you go. Put your hands up. Um, but I do. I'm, I, have a, um, I have a personality that just kind of cannonballs a lot. And so I don't just watch one episode. I watch like all the episodes. And I just can't do a little bit of anything. I just want to do it all. I mean, uh, I'm actually having trouble with my knee right now because I like to run. And, I, you know, if you run a little, it's good. If you run a lot, it's great. And, uh, but at my age, <laughs> you have to do that slowly and work up to it. But I love to just throw myself into it. But I have to choose to put before my eyes things that are less worthless. 
God, I, I want to be able to, to see people come into the kingdom. I want to be able to, you know, like the Apostle Paul, he spoke to people. And we think that if I just memorize the right speech, the name of Jesus is not something we just carry with us as a badge. It's a relationship I have with him. You know, do you remember in Acts 19, the sons of Sceva that went into a house and said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out, demons, and the demons actually chase them out of the house. See, a lot of us think if we just, you know, memorize a speech, I can go out and I can get people into the kingdom. But it's not your persuasive words that wins anybody. It's the power of God living in you that flows out of you as you deliver those words. That's what matters most. And so I got to find ways to stop putting worthless stuff in front of my eyes and just pursue him. But here's the thing. I know I got to work a job and I take care of my family. And my family is not worthless. But in the eyes of eternity, our relationship is. Does that make sense? If you don't hate your father and mother, get it? Your relation, I mean, the value of the soul of my family is eternal. But our relationship is temporary. And some of us think that our main goal is to just throw ourselves into our family. Well, it is, in a way, for eternity's sake. And so we think instead of going to church all the time, we should go to the lake more often. I'll just move on now. And please don't, don't misunderstand me. I don't want us to stop going to the lake and enjoy our family and our relationships. That's how we help those relationships grow. It's important. But there is a balance. And we as Americans tend to like to rec recreate way more than we like to pursue God. And if you go to the lake, at least pursue God together as a family at the lake. Read the scripture together, pray together, talk about who God is and what he's about. I mean, that's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Talk about God when you get up, when you lie down. Stop letting the Christian school and the church raise your kids and you get to do it. Okay, now I'll really stop and I'll just move on because <laughs> that's not in my notes and I should really always just stay in my notes. So we give our whole selves to God and we're doing it for his whole will. My whole self for God's whole will. The will of God is not some mysterious thing you pray. You don't just at the end of your prayers just say, God, whatever your will is, you know, just do it. Jesus came as the exact representation of the Father so that we could know the Father's will because Jesus is the Father's will. The Word of God is the will of God. So whatever's in this book is His will. We don't have to say, God, is this your will? If it's in here, it's His will. Then He sent His Spirit. His spirit reveals to us the mind of Christ. So we can know the will of God. Now, I know at times we're like, God, I don't know your will. But pray less, God, whatever your will is, and pray, God, show me your will. Because I believe our job is to hear his will and pray for it to be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Not just pray the words, God, whatever your will is be done. It's to know his will and pray for his will to be done. And sometimes we actually answer our own prayers and we do his will. And that's how we partner with him to get his will done. When Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He knew what that meant. Okay, he knew that the Father's will was the cross. He, didn't, he wasn't praying, God, I don't know what your will is, but whatever it is, you know, you do it. He's saying, God, I'd rather do it a different way. I mean, his flesh right now is like starting to think about pain. When Jesus walked the earth, by the way, he was fully human. So if he stubbed his toe, he said, ouch. 
Okay? He felt everything you feel. He got headaches, maybe. He got fevers. He just, I mean, he felt you. We have a high priest that can sympathize with us. If he didn't feel what I feel, he can't sympathize with me. Does that make sense? That's what scripture says. So he, he knows what's coming. Maybe he got a spanking as a child. I mean, it's hard to believe Jesus. I mean, there was that whole time he stayed in Nazareth thing or in Jerusalem thing. And maybe his parents are like, what are you doing? You know, spare the rod, spoil the child, Ben Franklin said. Yeah, that was Ben Franklin, by the way. But so where was I? I had way too much coffee. So we know the will of God. Jesus is in the garden. He's praying, Father, your will be done. He knows what's coming. He knows that the Father's will is the cross. And he's saying, I don't like it. I don't want that. I don't want to experience pain. Not my will. Yours be done. So the will of God is something that we can come to know. And as we learn to surrender our lives and live with our eyes fully fixed on him, Paul says, you come to know God's will. That's how you know God's will is by fully surrendering your life more and more to him. And then he describes God's will this way. You come to know God's good will. This will is his morally good will. That's what that word means. It means this concept, do no harm to an innocent person. This is the kind of will that is morally acceptable to most people. I know in our society today, maybe if we go back 30 years, this would be what society said was good. Okay, now we're so confused because we don't know what is good and we call evil good and good evil. And that's prophesied in the Bible, by the way, so don't panic, but read this book and it'll tell you how to respond to that. Okay, so the morally good will of God, generally people accept it. I mean, generally the people in our society would say, if there's an innocent person, don't harm them. Okay, we all think that is, that's, that's the good will of God, but he doesn't stop there. He says there's a pleasing will of God. And the pleasing will of God is what pleases another or is pleasing. Okay, now, as we progress through the will of God, you'll find that our flesh agrees with the will of God less and less as we go. Our flesh is okay with the good will of God. Don't harm an innocent person. I'm okay with that. My flesh is okay with that. But now when we start talking about the pleasing will of God, things like caring for orphans and widows in the scripture, that pleases God. Giving our bodies is a living sacrifice that pleases God. Standing up against injustice, that's pleasing to God. In Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, pray for your leaders. Because if you pray for them, that's actually pleasing to God our Father. So there's so much in the word that talks about pleasing God with his will. Okay, those are things. But it doesn't just stop there. It's like good endorphins are released in your body. You feel good when you do this will of God. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You, you do something good for someone, you serve at camp, you care for orphans or widows, you feel good. I mean, it's like, I feel good when I help someone. I feel good when I sacrifice my time or my money for someone else. The world does this. Atheists serve other people in need. They like the feeling they get when they help people. Atheists will sit on Oprah and they will talk about how they're helping people in a part of the world be delivered from AIDS or get water and they'll cry and they feel so good. It's the pleasing will of God. Our flesh actually even enjoys the pleasing will of God. But then he doesn't stop there. He talks about the perfect will of God. 
And the perfect will of God is that which is not lacking in any moral quality. This is where Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. So now we're talking about stuff my flesh doesn't want to do. Because when I have an enemy or someone hates me, my flesh says, hate back. My flesh says, if someone hits me, hit back. But what did Jesus say? Turn the other cheek. If someone forces you to go one mile, complain about it the whole way. No, that's not what he said. He said, go a second mile with them. So the perfect will of God usually goes against what we naturally feel. It's doing the right thing when I don't feel like it. And I know the right thing because I have this book. I have Jesus as my example and I have the Holy Spirit living in me. And I know the right thing. I just don't always want to do it. See, this week at Royal Family Kids Camp, we're going to do the good will of God and the pleasing will of God. But what's going to make this week successful is if all of us together say, let's do the perfect will of God. And this week at camp, the perfect will of God is anything Christy and Kathy say. I mean, I'm just, make, just making it real. Okay, that's the perfect will of God. If you're leader of the camp, I don't care if you think you got a better way. I don't care if you had a dream from the Lord in the night and you share it with them. If they say, no, we're going this way, we're going that way. Let me tell you something. I'm a red. Those of you in this room know what a red is. And at camp, I'm not the one that calls the shots. It's a new world for me. Part of me loves it because I kind of just get to relax. So the pressure is not on me. <laughs> the pre and so it's just like, I don't have to worry about that. That's not, that's not my job. But sometimes my personality is, I wouldn't do it that way. But guess what? That's not my role. So the perfect will of God for me is to do it that way. And this works in real life. Parents, children, teachers, coaches, we argue with our kids' coaches. If you can't submit to your kids' coach, just take them off the team. Stop it. What you are teaching your children is that we should reject the authority God has placed over us. Now, if that authority is telling you to sin, the Bible says don't do it. But if it's just your opinion, stop it. The perfect will of God is what makes it perfect in our lives. And so we do the perfect will of God. For some of us, we need, just like our minds need to be renewed, our hearts, or our eyes, excuse me, need to be renewed. Let me explain what I mean. In Acts chapter 9, here's a story. Ananias, if you remember, is a guy that lives in Damascus, and he gets a vision from God to go to Paul, and or who was Saul at the time and pray for him. Saul was his enemy, okay? So Ananias is thinking, uh, perfect will of God moment. Go pray for your enemy. Uh, God, have you heard that he came, he came here to arrest me? God, perhaps you haven't heard that he wants to arrest me and throw me in jail. He wants to take my stuff. God, perfect will of God, right there. So Ananias departs the house. I love that. God says, go do something that's completely out of your mind. He does it. So he lays hands on him and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came sent me so you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and he was baptized and took food and was strengthened. And for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. Now I know Paul was physically blind. And so when 
would scales fall off of his eyes, he physically was able to see. But what's interesting to me is that Paul, who was just persecuting Jesus, immediately begins to preach in the name of Jesus. It's almost as if not only did his physical sight return, but his spiritual sight return. Now, the Apostle Paul, had, who had taken people who disagreed with him in the past, and he used to murder them. He used to put them in prison. He used to treat them a certain way. Now, people who disagree with him, if you look at the rest of Paul's life, he's stoned, he's beaten. What does he do? He blesses them. He prays for them. He preaches to them. They leave him for dead. He gets up, he goes back in, and he preaches again. It's like a whole new way of life, a whole new way of looking at things. He no longer sees people as his enemies. He sees them as his mission. So the question is, what about us? What do our eyes see? What do people see in our eyes? Let me tell you something. If you're married, you understand this. You can say a lot with your eyes. Know what I'm talking about? You don't have to say anything, but your eyes can say it all. And some of us, we don't say the things that we're thinking, but our eyes tell the story. And the lost can see it in our eyes. It's not just a pretty song we sing, it's truth. And so the way to get what is coming out of our eyes transformed is to say, God, take the scales off my eyes to see them the way that I see them. Do not get your opinions about people from the news. Do not get your opinions about people from Christian radio. Get your opinions about people from the word of God. And this God demonstrated his love for all mankind and gave himself for them no matter how wicked, repulsive, or vulgar they were. Because that was you and I. I know that we have been saved so long that sometimes we forget that that's what we were when he saved us, but that's what we were. And our eyes need to see it differently. And I love this week at camp because sometimes we get, it, we get it, we get training and we understand that this God loves the, these people that have been abused and neglected and hurt in their lives. And, but how about in our daily lives? How about the grumpy guy that complains to us? How about the abuser? Do we see them with the same eyes or have we been conditioned by the world around us to see people the way we want to see them? And so what is, is what I'm setting before my eyes bringing clarity or is it blinding me? Get into the word. So the last one. Not only do we give God our whole selves for his whole will, but we do it until the whole world hears. God's will is that none should perish, but all receive eternal life. That is God's overwhelming will for your life. I know that sometimes we say, God, is it your will for me to marry this person? Is it your will for to have kids? Is it your will to buy this house or do this job or this ministry? But again, all of those things are temporary. All of those things in the end are worthless. Okay, we need to pray for God's direction in things, but his will is for all men to be saved. Does that make sense? His will for you to have a house or a job is to position you where you can tell your neighbors about Christ. It's to position you where you can be a light to your coworkers. No matter where, what decision you make, the, the mission of that is for all men to know him. That's his overwhelming will. He says that we leave the 99 to go after the one. And there's more celebration in heaven over one lost sinner that returns than over 99 righteous who didn't have to. And it doesn't mean God doesn't love us. It means you're saved. 
And if you don't get that job or you don't get that house or you don't get that car or you don't get married or you don't get something that's temporary, your eternity is still okay. But if that person that does not have Christ dies, that's not okay. That's the overwhelming mission of God. And sometimes we forget that. And we get so busy doing other things. There's a story about a man who was walking along the beach. And he saw thousands of starfish that had been washed in by the tide. And he began to feel sorry for them because they were, they were dying. They can't be in the sun. They needed to be back in the water. And he's just overwhelmed by this thought. And all of a sudden, he looks down the beach and he sees a young boy throwing the starfish back into the water. And he chuckles to himself and he's like, what, what's that kid doing? Like, why is he doing that? And he walks up to the young man and he says, what are, you, what are you doing? You can never save all of these starfish. Why does it even matter? And the young boy just picks up the next starfish and throws it into the water and says, it matters to that one. I know the concept of reaching the whole world is a great thing to pray about. Oh, Lord, save the world. But sometimes it's just a matter of just ministering to the one that's right in front of me. That's how you save the whole world. You're not called to save the whole world. You're called to minister to one that's in front of you, just like that little boy. And I know that we can look at this whole world situation and we can get paralyzed and we can get overwhelmed and we can get lazy and we can say, God, you know, I know it's your will to save the world, so save the world. Please do your will. But God says, I want to use you. And I want to use you just to minister to the person that's right in front of you today. See, the other danger is we try to save everybody. You know, we just start trying to manipulate things to make it happen. You know, I have an unsafe spouse, and so I start leaving tracks on the nightstand. So they start reading them. You know, the Bible says just let your conduct win them over. I mean, when they yell at you instead of yelling back, use a soft answer that turns away wrath. I mean, this is what the Scripture says. I know it's easier to leave a track. And by the way, if you're going to leave a track in a restaurant, make sure you leave a good tip better than what's expected, or don't leave a track. I mean, I know that we're trying, to, we're trying to save the whole world. We're trying to make it happen, but sometimes just loving on the person that's in front of you and not being upset with them for maybe making a mistake or getting your order wrong goes a lot more way than a track does. Here's a truth that I want you to get in your heart for your life. God is pursuing every person on this earth right now. He's pursuing them. That takes the pressure off of me to try to get everybody saved because the results are up to him. And he was active in that person's life before I got there, and he will be active in their life after I'm gone. This is something that's really important for us to know at Royal Family Kids Camp. In fact, I want to tell you something. The only reason you're here today is because God is pursuing these 42 children. And God came along to you and he whispered in your ear and said, hey, I'm pursuing 42 kids. Would you like to join me? And you said yes. And so the pressure is not on you to make something happen this week. The pressure is on him. And he's been pursuing them. All you got to do is just stay connected to him, say what he says, do what he does, do his perfect will, model it, love on them, and let it flow out of you. Let it flow out of your eyes. And you just let him do the work. And when you send them home on Friday, I know that you're going to be sad. I'm going to be sad. I'm going to cry. It's going to be 
a moment, but I'm going to trust that God who pursued them before they came is the God who's going to pursue them after they go home. There are two stories that I want to look at, and then we're going to close. They're not going to take long, I promise. I'm not going to read this one. This is the story in Acts chapter 3, and Peter and John are on their way to the, the temple to pray. They're going to a prayer meeting for God's will to be done, and on the way, they meet a beggar. And they tell him, hey, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus, stand and walk. And again, the name of Jesus is not just something, a tag that we put on our prayers. It's holy surrender to God so that I can look at something and know what his will is in that moment. And that's what Peter did. Peter looks at this beggar and says, you know what, this beggar wants me to give him money. And I don't believe Peter and John were broke. I don't believe that they didn't have money to give him. I believe they recognized he wants money, but here's the thing. Sometimes people want something from us and what we're going to give them is not what they, they want, but what they need. Now, I'm all for helping the poor. The Bible says help the poor, give to those who are in need, do all these things, but that's not what they need. They need hope. And so if our money for them is just to get them out of our hair so that they stop asking us for stuff instead of to offer them hope, then it's actually not even a good thing. And it's easy for us to do that because it's the pleasing will of God and it makes me feel good about myself. But sometimes the perfect will of God is to kneel down and get in their face and get dirty with them and to actually take them on a journey to hope and healing. Amen. And Peter looks at him intently, that intentional look. And that's what I believe God is asking us to do. Stop looking at the situations and just doing my goodwill. Stop looking and just doing my pleasing will. I want you to see my perfect will. My perfect will is going to be maybe a little different than you thought. The other story is a story of Jesus as he arrives in Bethsaida, Mark chapter 8. Some people bring him a blind man, and they beg him to touch the man and heal him. Look at this. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Okay, the Bible doesn't just put random statements in. So why did Jesus do this? Then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? The man looked around and said, yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored. I mean, he didn't spit again. He just put his hands on him. And he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away saying, do not go back into the village on your way home. What, what Jesus is showing us is if we're going to take people on a journey, sometimes it's personal. We take them by the hand. That doesn't mean you have to touch their hand. It just means it has to be personal. There has to be a connection. There has to be, you have to be engaged and involved in this moment. You have to take them on a journey. They went outside the camp. Here's the thing. It may take more than one encounter. It may take more than one camp for something to happen in the lives of these kids. But here's the thing. We're in the long game. God is in the long game. And so we're taking them on this journey. And we're believing that sometimes their sight doesn't get restored instantly or it doesn't get restored quickly. But full restoration is the promised goal until every person sees clearly, not just at camp, but in our daily lives. We're called to make contact with people, to walk with them on a journey, and to make sure they come to see there's a God who loves them. There's a supernatural God that wants to intervene in their lives. He wants to flow out of us, to minister to them, to touch 
touch them, to bring healing, to bring victory, to bring deliverance. Jesus didn't tell this man, okay, now that you can see a little bit, go get some therapy so you can learn how to train your eyes. He touched him again. He said, there's a, there's a full restoration. This is a process. Jesus did miracles differently to show us there's not a method you can learn. There's a God you walk with. And sometimes he does things different than he did it last year. Camp is going to be different this year than it was last year. The kids you have in your, in your, your, your group are going to be different than they were last year. Your neighbors are going to be different than the neighbors that were there before. Every day is different. You stay connected and you walk with him. And so the challenge for us is to give our whole selves for his whole will until the whole world hears, to be transformed by the making new of our mind, by the making new of our eyes, and so that this week at camp, or this week in El Salvador, or this week it, wherever you go, is a launching pad for a new life. A new life. And we're going to close today's service, and we're going to commission those that are going to camp. And so in just a moment, I'm going to have you come to the front, and we're going to have you just stand here, and I'm going to pray a blessing over you, and uh, we're going to ask God to give you everything you need. We're going to ask him to cause the scales to fall off of our eyes, and we're going to pray over you. And those of you that have family here, if you want to come and stand behind them and put your hand on them and pray, we're going to invite you to do that. Pastor John is going to come too because he's going to El Salvador. We're going to commission him. But for those of you that are in your seat, I'm going to pray for you too because you're going somewhere this week and we're going to commission you. And I'm going to ask that all of us put our hands in a receiving posture. So basically what we're saying is, God, this week at camp, because we, we like to grab things. We like to make it happen. We're makers of things that happen. We're red and we're blue. Let's make it happen. Okay, you yellows and green, you're more like this. Just kidding. <laughs> but we need you, yellows and green, or we just run over everybody. And so we need you to remind us to stop and look. Okay, so you're important. But we're going to receive from God just like this. And I'm just going to pray and ask God to do it. It's not going to be a magical thing. It's just going to be a trusting God thing. And so I want you to stand with me. If you're in Royal Family Kids Camp or you are going to El Salvador, I want you to come stand here in the front. Just kind of pack in. If you want to come with your, your kids or you want to come with your spouse, if you want to come with your parents or whoever's here for your group, and uh, we're just going to pray for this week at camp. You can stay facing the front. That way everyone can get behind you and pray for you if they want to pray for you. And those of you in your seats, again, you, if you say, God, you're putting me on mission, I'm going to receive too. Let's just put our hands in that receiving position. And Father, right now, we recognize and we agree with you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. God, we're grateful for the plans and the strategies that you give us. I'm so grateful, God, for Wayne Tesh and the dream that you put in his heart. God, to make a difference in the lives of foster kids all across the world. God, look at what you've done. This is, this is what's in your heart. And I love the strategies they developed over the years and the ways that you've given them wisdom and insight. But God, ultimately, it's just not a program that we implement. It's a presence that we carry. So without you, we can do nothing. We admit that right now. And God, we just covenant with you right now to not put worthless things in front of our eyes. God, to seek you with a whole heart. 
If we haven't in the past, God, we know we need to, to work on areas that maybe your spirit's made real to us today. We're going to do it. God, we need your help to do it. We're not going to make the bold claims that Peter made. God, we're just asking you to help us. Help us to make that covenant, to remove the worthless things from in front of our eyes. God, if there's areas of blindness, if scales need to fall off our eyes to see people different, make that happen. God, remove the things from our eyes that cause us to see people with disdain, with disgust. God, give us eyes to see what you see. Your ways are higher than ours. Your thoughts are higher than ours. And so, God, your eyesight is better than ours. And we need your eyes. Holy Spirit, for every staff member, for every person in this body, for every person that's in this room, give us eyes to see people that they would see your love, your power, and your kingdom, that you'd give us a grace to look intently at the one in front of us. God, to know it's not just the words we say, it's the presence we carry. Help us not to look for the, the right thing to do, but God, to just be the right person in front of them in that moment, whether it's this week at camp or whether it's any day of our lives. God, that we would offer hope, restoration, and grace through the power of your Holy Spirit. May he be like a refreshing water that flows out of us, like living water to every person that we meet. God, even if it's just a brief encounter, that they would recognize they've tasted of something that's different than anything they've tasted before. Let them see it in our eyes. Help us to surrender our whole selves to you, to do your whole will until the whole world is heard. Now, Father, over this entire body today, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would keep them. I pray that you would cause your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. May you make your mercies new every moment in this week. God, would you lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just an announcement again to camp or staff. Remember, we're leaving here at 1.30 today, so be back. Get your lunch, get your stuff, be back here ready to go at 1.30. For everyone, please keep us in prayer this week. And uh, Pastor John and the team that's going to El Salvador. And uh, remember, as we go this week, let's just be the eyes of Jesus all across this city, all across this region. God bless you as you go. Royal Family Kids staff, if you'd come back to the front, RFK staff, we're going to take a picture here in the front.